Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wayne Hour, a podcast series where we sit down with leaders from across the country and talk with them about the important issues of the day. I'm Kevin Chrism, I'm the host of the program, and I'm delighted to welcome you in to another episode. My guest on the show today is Mr. Danny Tarkanian. Mr. Tarkanian is a former Nevada congressional candidate and currently serves as a county commissioner out in Douglas County in Nevada. He also is the son of legendary college basketball coach Jerry the Shark Tarkanian. And he joins us on the show today to talk about Nevada politics, about the events that occurred at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, and a whole lot more. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Wayne Hour. You can subscribe to the show on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you. Danny Tarkanian, thanks so much for joining us here in the Wayne Hour podcast today. We appreciate your time. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, as I said, a week sort of like, I would say, none other, <laughs> almost surreal. Wanted to get your reaction on what you saw go on down in D.C. on Wednesday. Uh, what did you make of it? Well, there's been so much um, um, divisiveness and um uh, passion on both sides uh, for quite a while now. And I think it all started uh, with President Obama, at least it, it accelerated with him. And when um, there were so many um, issues that were uh, made uh, during his presidency that dealt with whether it was race or, or sex or um, uh, uh, seniors or women, you know, it, there's Instead of coming together as a as a country and saying we're the United States of America, we're going to do what's in the best interest of everybody, uh, there started being this class warfare, and I think that's part of the reason why President Trump won, um, and his supporters became very defensive of that, and there was just this type of passion that that has been going on now for many many years. And I think you saw the culmination of it. Uh, I think it was was a Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm running my days together. Wednesday, right? Now, a lot of the mainstream media likes to blame President Trump and say, oh, this is his fault that it happened. Do, do you feel that way or or do you think um, it's a culmination of things? Or do, or do you think President Trump is the, you know, the sole person to blame no. him for what went on? No, he's not the sole person to blame. It, there, there's a culmination of effects. And I think, like I mentioned, it started, I believe, with President Obama and the way he divided the country. I think it expanded uh, with the, the way President Trump's rhetoric has been. Uh, throughout his presidency, but the, maybe the biggest culprit of them all is the media. By the way, uh, they just make up stories and they say things that aren't true. They misquote uh, things that have happened uh, over and over again. They, they they try to make President Trump look like he's worse uh, than what he actually said, and it really infuriates his 80 million uh, supporters or however many there are out there. Right. Now, another talking point that the media has been saying a lot is that this tarnishes any legacy President Trump has. What do you make of that? And do you think it's true? Well, the, the, the media has been trying to tarnish his legacy from day one. And with the facts of the storming of the Capitol fresh in our minds, that's what people are going to remember right now. They're, going to, they're not going to remember the, the wonderful things President Trump's policies have brought to our country. And I think his policies have been some of the best of any president um, in my lifetime, but Lisa, and I 
supported all of them because of how great it was for our country. Uh, but people forget about those things because of what's happened most recently. I think as time goes on and you reflect upon a, um, the uh, legacy of a president, you look at their overall picture of it, certainly this last event is going to hurt um, uh, President Trump's legacy to a degree. But I think you're also, there's also going to be more focus on what he was able to accomplish. Look at the great breakthroughs he's had in the Middle East peace talks, which no pre president has had been able to do in, in the last 70 years. Look at the economy that he had before COVID hit. There are a lot of things that uh, he can rest his hat on, um, which I think people will pay more attention to as uh, this um, uh, the storming of the Capitol face from uh, a little bit from our memory. Certainly. And let's talk about why everyone was in D.C. on Wednesday, of course, to object to the counting of the and the certification, rather, of the Electoral College votes. If you were in Congress, would you stand up with your colleagues, such as Paul Gosar and others in, in Congress, Mo Brooks, another one who would say uh, and objected to your state of Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, other states? If you were in Congress, would you stand up and object as well? It, it would depend on what evidence was brought to me to show that there was voter fraud that had occurred. The thing that really blows me away in this whole debate is that President Trump and his lawyers laid out all these different numbers of how many dead people voted, how many people that were illegal immigrants voted, how many people voted uh, twice, all these different numbers. And he, they said, you know, they, 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 they did it by checking these names off of these deals. But then you go to court and there's a lot of Republican judges that have thrown this out. The one here in Nevada was appointed by Kenny Gwynn, who was Republican governor in 2000, his father, the judge's father who threw it out, was a staunch Republican and, an, an, in fact, a, an elected official on the Republican Party. You know, and he said there wasn't any evidence to it. So I kept tweeting out to the Republican Party, show us the evidence. What names are the people that were supposedly dead that voted? And let's the public see that this is true. And then I think you'd have a lot more of the public supporting them. And I was waiting for President Trump and or whoever was speaking on his behalf um, in Washington, D.C. Uh, the last couple of days to come out with that type of an evidence. And, you know, it just never came out. And I'm not sure because the riots uh, stopped um, some of the debate, if they were actually going to show us that proof, or if maybe they didn't have the actual concrete proof they were saying. So until I know what that was, it would have been hard to make that decision. Sure. Now explain to my listening audience and those listening today about Nevada in terms of the 2020 election. Obviously, we saw a lot from Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union. You also had the former Attorney General Adam Laxalt, who had been leading the effort uh, in the Nevada case for uh, voter fraud. What happened in Nevada? And were you convinced that all those votes were uh, legal votes in this past? Well, that's case? the point. That's the point I was making with my last uh, answer is uh, from what we heard from Matt Slaff, from what we heard from Adam Laxalt, and also I forget the name of the attorney who spoke in the Senate hearing. Boy, they had the, they had the numbers of voters that were supposedly dead that voted, the number of voters that were uh, voted twice, the number of voters that uh, didn't live in an address that they had listed. And it sounded so strong. But then when it went to the court system, um, the, the Republican judge threw it out and said there wasn't evidence of this. And uh, there were a lot of court cases that were thrown out based upon procedural matters, lack of standing and things like that. But the Nevada judge threw it out based upon the substantive allegations, saying there was no evidence there. Now, I wasn't privy to any of it. What I thought 
Matt Slap and what Adam Laxalter should have done was they should have they should have honored on a web page, list the names of the people that voted that they say were dead and let everybody check on it. List names of the people who voted and, and, and uh, didn't have an address and let the people check on it and then would know if it, if it was true or not. And if it is true, then gosh, the, the, the court system has failed us and uh, and something needs to be done. But we never saw that. And it's hard to defend what Matt Slap and Adam Laxalt were saying and, unless we actually saw the evidence ourselves. Right. Now you look at other states, you talk about Wisconsin, Georgia is a big one, Arizona, closer to you. Do you think President Trump is right to go after these governors such as Doug Ducey, Brian Kemp for not say, calling special sessions of the legislature, not taking more of a stand? I mean, you look at Brian Kemp in Georgia, a lot of people say, well, Trump went out of his way to endorse him in a primary and put him over the finish line against Stacey Abrams. So do you think Trump is right? Do you think conservatives are right in their uh, frustration with some of these governors across the country? So I, I don't think there's a black or white answer on that question, but there are certain things I think the governor should have done that I still don't understand why they didn't. But there are other things the governor couldn't do that President Trump was asking them to do. What I think should have been done and what I think really has tainted this election and it's going to make President Biden's presidency called into question by millions of Americans is why didn't, it, for example, in Arizona, they, they, there was a court order to, for, the, um, uh, for, for them to turn over the software of the Dominion machines and they refused to do so. Why would they refuse to do that unless they're hiding something? And why didn't the governor force that to happen? I never heard if they ever turned it over or not, but they, they absolutely violated the court order when turned over when they were supposed to. Here in Nevada, and this is something President Trump asked for in Georgia also. He wanted the signatures verified manually. Why couldn't, in every county in Nevada, they, 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 they evaluated the signatures manually, except in Clark County, where the vast majority of the votes were. And they had these machines uh, verify them, but the machines verification level was reduced from what was the minimum prescribed 50%. They were reduced to 40%, which means more signatures are going through that may not have been valid. Now, that's a valid um, request by President Trump and his campaign staff to say, hey, let's just make sure these signatures match. They didn't do it here in Nevada. They didn't do it in Georgia. And I think the governor should have forced that issue. But to say, hey, let's take uh, uh, the election results and throw it into the state legislature without having some type of proof that uh, there was this voting fraud that occurred. I don't I don't think that was a legitimate call either. Right. And there's been a lot of talk about President Trump possibly running again in four years. Joe Biden will be sworn in in just a few weeks. Do you think he should do it? Uh, what would, If you were advising him, what would you tell him about running in a couple of years? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, at a, a person at his age with his accomplishments, this is a decision that only he um, can make because it's going to be an absolutely brutal election in, in 2024. Uh, if, if President Trump's the one that's running against probably Kamala Harris at the time. Uh, it's going to be absolutely brutal. Uh, but even if it's not him, whoever on the Republican side is, it's going to be tough. And, and it's got to be somebody who has uh, that um, fire in the belly to go ahead and do it again. And I'm not sure where President Trump will be in four years. It's got to be his decision. I do believe that what happened today, uh, this past few days at the Capitol is going to hurt President Trump. Now, we'll, how much it will hurt him four years from now, it's hard to say. Uh, but there were so many great things in his presidency that if he would have just kept the focus on that and not allowed some of the uh, diversion from that, I think he'd have a much better shot. Right. Well, what do you make about some of the attacks, you know, you've seen from the vice president or upon the vice president about his role as vice president certifying the uh, 
the state electors. Do, do you think he was, you know, in a tough position or do you think he should have done more? Because it's his opinion, and I think a lot of others' opinions that he couldn't do more per the constitution. So what do you make about the vice president's role in all this? Yeah, he was in a very, very tough position and President Trump uh, uh, um, was going to force that issue for him to make um, a decision he wasn't comfortable with. And I know uh, President, uh, Vice President Pence from some of uh, the events that uh, I attended of his and when he did a fundraiser for me. And he's a kind of guy that is really uh, good at making the people around him feel good and comfortable, but he's always going to make the decision that's in the best interest uh, of himself and what he thinks is, is, is right. And um, he, he felt that he did not have a choice uh, to, to um, not certify the results. But this comes back to another issue. Was President Trump saying force, pre, uh, Vice President Pence should force uh, the uh, Republican chosen electors um, as the ones that were valid and, and discarded the ones that the state legislatures had approved that were from the Democrat um, uh, side? Or was he saying, hey, here's a bunch of voter fraud that had occurred here. We're going to present it to you at these hearings. And then Vice President Pence, if you see that there's voter fraud here that occurred, then maybe you should send it back to the state legislators to investigate it. If it was a latter, I certainly think Vice President Pence had the authority to do that. If it was to say, hey, Vice President Pence had the unilateral authority to discard um, the electors that would have been approved by the state legislatures. And I know I don't think he had that authority. Right. Yeah, certainly a difficult situation. I met the vice president a few times. He, you, you, you hit the nail right in the head there about his demeanor and, and such. So we wish him well. I want to talk to you about right now Nevada politics. Obviously, it's been a difficult few years for the Nevada GOP. Well, what's it going to take, you think, to win back some seats, whether it be in Congress? You have a Senate seat up in 2022. Obviously, Governor Siciliak is up for re-election. Well, what, what do you think it's going to take for uh, the GOP to make a, make a stand here in the next couple of years? First and foremost, this is not a blue state. Uh, it may be purple. The Republican Party has an opportunity every year to do well here in the state. The voter registration difference here in the state is only between three and a half percent to four and a half percent. It's not it hasn't been higher than that since 2008. So um, uh, it isn't like the state's all going blue. What's happened is a Democrat Party primarily being led by Harry Reid organized their grassroots organization and their state party into a really lethal force. And the Republican Party has done the complete opposite. There's uh, um, divisiveness between the county party chairs and the state party chairs. Uh, very little money is being raised uh, from the party itself. They're getting money from the National Party because it's a battleground state, but they're not raising a lot of money. They, uh, there's, there's a lot that we could be doing to shoring up our um, infrastructure um, and grassroots part, part of the state that, that would make uh, the Republican candidates much more effective in the, in the elections. That being said, I think 2022 is going to be a great year for the Republicans. Our governor has screwed up uh, the COVID response as bad as anybody in the country, including um, the California, Nevada, uh, New York governors. I mean, he's done things that have just crucified this state. We have the highest unemployment rate of any of the states caused by by COVID, um, he, he, he anyway. So whoever's running against him on the Republican side is going to have a great chance to win, and I think that will also carry over to the Senate race. Um, 
the Senator Cortez will be up for re-election. I think she's a stronger of the two uh, Democrat state uh, U.S. senators, uh, but it'll be a bad time to be running, I think, as a Democrat in two years. As you saw when President Trump won uh, the presidency, uh, his first um election that he was in office, meaning the, the midterm election, the Republicans got killed. And uh, I was on the, that ticket. Uh, mm -hmm. And that usually is what happens in the, um, the um, uh, off-presidential election. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about what you plan to do. Do you, do you run for Congress a few times? Do you think you'll do it again uh, in the next couple of years? Oh, I, I don't know what the opportunities will be. Um, be available at that time. Uh, there, we have a congressman, uh, a ten-year congressman that's in my district right now. He's very well liked. Uh, I would not run against him under any circumstances. Um, he's talking about running for governor. Uh, if he doesn't, you know that spot will be open, and I'm not sure who's going to be jumping into that. Uh, right now, I just got elected as a county commissioner in Douglas County. I had my first meeting, and it was really exciting to finally get in and serve the people after so many um, election tries. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. We'll see. Hopefully, the future holds um, so, some more uh, opportunities for me, and I certainly will pursue them if they are. Sure. Well, congratulations uh, on that. Give us a few minutes of what of what that is all about uh, in the county commissioner job. Well, I mean, we oversee uh, the uh, the uh, budget and the uh, land use of the of the county. It's a it's one of the it's probably the most beautiful county in Nevada. It's it absolutely is. It encompasses part of Lake Tahoe, the foothills of Lake Tahoe. Uh, it's a rural community. They don't want a large uh, growth in there, but they want to keep their pristine uh, beauty. And uh, at the same time, they want to prosper, as most people do in, uh, in the community, without having to pay higher taxes. So you walk a fine line, try to appease uh, all the people and still do the right thing. As I said, I've only had one meeting yet, so I hope to, to continue to do well and, uh, and enjoy myself. Sure, that's great. Uh, you, you mentioned Governor Sisolak and his uh, response to COVID. Give us a sense right now what's going on in the current uh, sense with Nevada and COVID. Obviously, we saw a big uh, battle between Mayor Goodman from Las Vegas and the governor when the, the mayor decided to it was time to reopen the casinos and the parlors and so forth. What's the scene right now? Is Nevada still Nevada rather still shut down, or or what, what's going on there in your state? Well, the governor's has a limited shutdown, but the limited part covers, I mean, it hurts uh, so many people and so many businesses. He allows the casinos to maintain uh, being open, but they're, they're restricted to 25% occupancy and many of them can't make a go with that. And in fact, the major casinos have, have closed down either one of their buildings, uh, uh, multiple ones during the weekend are only open on the weekends. So the casino industry is very is hurt very badly. Uh, the restaurant uh, um, and um, uh, food industry is getting killed as it is across the country. But Nevada relies upon this a lot more than others. Uh, we, re we rely upon tourists flying into the state and um, making this their destination. And um, the, the travel on the airfare has been bad. But the, the, it all started when the governor shut down the state in March when the COVID situation wasn't nearly as bad as it is now. And all it did was prolong uh, what was going to happen. Uh, it didn't do anything to solve any of the problems. It, it destroyed uh, the, those businesses and they haven't been able to recover. And now we're in a much worse situation situation and um, the, the businesses are still open and the casinos are still open but to a limited extent and it's not getting any better. The governor has 
uh, rules that just don't that, that conflict with each other. There were a lot of riots that were going on uh, that he allowed, but at the same time, he, he tried to stop churches from having more than 50 people to attend uh, uh, during masses. It just doesn't make any sense, some of the stuff he had. My daughter used to go out and play basketball in the outside court by herself, and I would rebound for it, and he locks the courts down. Now, who's getting COVID by shooting basketball uh, hoops by yourself outside? His rules just didn't make sense to anybody, and uh, he is very disliked in the state. He's, I think he's got very little chance of winning re-election. And as I mentioned, whoever wins the Republican primary, and I believe it's going to be a hotly contested primary, is going to have a great chance to be our next governor. Sure, certainly. Now let's talk about your state and also California. I mean, you see in California the way Newsom has handled COVID. He's obviously been very unpopular there. You see a lot of Californians you know, fleeing to Texas and other states. Do you fear that with the way Governor Sislak has handled COVID that uh, the tourism industry is going to be, you know, hurt and it is hurt now, but wiped out if he doesn't change his uh, tune here. I don't think it's going to be permanently wiped out because Las Vegas has um, maybe a trillion dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure that nobody else can touch. And people love coming to Las Vegas, it's, but it's going to be hurt for many years to come. And I believe Governor Sissel is going to be the one to, held to blame and, and rightly so for, for the circumstances that they're in. We've We've had a lot of Californians moving here over the past um, 10, 15 years. Um, it, it moved the registrations from being almost evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats to give the Democrats that three and a half to four and a half percent edge. So they have a little bit of an advantage, but I believe in the right year, if the right candidates, uh, the Republicans can win and, and will win here in the state. Sure. And just my last question on that, do you think Newsom should be recalled? There's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on there. A lot of calls for him to be removed from office. What do you make of that? Well, from what I have read and understand, Newsom does so many things that are not only like what Sisolak does, things that don't work, that don't make any sense, and uh, they conflict with each other. But then he's a hypocrite. He, uh, he makes rules and he violates them himself. Uh, I, there's so many things wrong with him, but that, whoever's going to replace him is going to be a Democrat. The state is, 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 is not going to um, um, uh, elect a Republican uh governor there unless um, the Republicans can do a better job getting the Latino vote. And that's not, um, we're not there at this point at least. And um, someone who else who gets elected probably be just as bad as Newsom. Sure, certainly, so true. Well, Danny Tarkanian, thanks so much for joining us here on the Wayne Era podcast today. Hey, give us a quick uh, plug about your book, about your father, the great Jerry Tarkanian. Uh, Where can uh, people get it and just give, a, give us uh, some information what it's about? Sure. My father was a basketball coach uh, primarily at UNLV, where he had his greatest success, but also at Long Beach State and Fresno State. Uh, he was one of the great coaches of all time. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. But the thing about my dad and what I think the book is so good is it talks about the way he handled and dealt with people from all walks of life. He, he, the way he was able to um, uh, motivate people people and get people to achieve uh, great things that they never thought they could. And he did it with sarcasm and humor instead of being a bully and a tyrant. And um, I just think uh, uh, the world of what he did as a, as a person, I wrote a book on it. It's called Rebel with the Cause, the true Jerry Tarkanian story. And you can buy it on Amazon. That's great. And I think a lot of people not only know your father as the Hall of Fame basketball coach, but back here in around the Massachusetts, New England area, know of him and his relationship with uh, Chris Herron the star from Durfee High School and down in Fall River, Massachusetts, played at BC and then made his way over to Fresno State. So your dad did yes. wonderful things. So that, that's, that's a great book. And we encourage all my listeners to go out and, and uh, read it, Rebel Without a Cause by Danny Tarkin. Sir, thanks so much for joining us here on the Wayne Hour, as I mentioned. 
you take care and we'll be following your work along the way. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks thank for you. having me on. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Wayne Hour. You can again subscribe to the show on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Thank you very much.